0: Welcome to *Hence the Future* podcast. I'm Justin Clark,
1: and I'm Adam Cronin.
0: And today we're discussing the future of news. So that means we'll be discussing how the creation and distribution of news is changing, how the ways that people consume news is changing, and how new technologies are redefining what it means to even be a journalist. So first, let's start off with news consumption. Um, so, yeah, Moore, what do you? How do you think it's changing currently?
1: Right. So even just in our lifetime and our parents' lifetime, it's a totally different paradigm when you look at the news landscape. So in our parents' time, there were basically three major news stations. Everyone watched those three stations. And that created a collective version of reality that everyone shared. And we were able to get a ton of things done. I mean, we were able to put a man on the moon. We were able to (laughs) get past the Cold War. And so. And a lot of the concerns around that time were that there was too much groupthink, meaning people had too many overlapping Mm -hmm. opinions, and there might not have been as many sort of nuanced or diverging opinions. After those three networks, then Fox News came into the mix, and since then, it's gotten much more expansive as far as different news outlets. So we went from just a few news stations to then you, you know, now we have the whole internet, and yeah. it's interesting that from a high level, when you look at what's happening, there was one worldview that was still dominant, even with all the news channels and that we had, up until the 2016 election. And in the 2016 election, there seemed to be a rift in the fabric of reality, where now there's a conservative way of viewing of the news and everything that's mm-hmm. going on, and there's a liberal way or mainstream media way to you know, to take in everything that's going on. And this has had some upsides and downsides. I mean, the downsides are that people tend to be pushed more towards one extreme or the other. And oftentimes that leads people to having opinions that aren't rooted in fact. Um, But on the upside, there's just a flourishing number of new ways that people can consume media. And so there is this undercurrent of people who really want informed opinions and are willing to listen to Mm -hmm. one hour, two hour, three hour podcasts and really go deep on a subject rather than just getting these like snackable sound bites that you would typically see if you just watched, you know, televised news interviews. Um, Mm -hmm. So there is there is there's some good stuff going on with this undercurrent of people that really want nuanced opinions. But then that we're also being pulled in many different directions. And as a result, it's really hard to get things done because if you can't even agree on the facts of whether climate change is happening or <laughs> on the facts of whether we have a problem on the southern U.S. border or not, then how can you even begin to solve the problem?
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that's it's crazy just how much information is available. That's, I think, one of the the biggest problems we have and what the biggest problem journalists face too Mm. is the fact that there's so much information and how, like, what do you focus on as a journalist and what do you focus on consuming? And it seems to be, uh, the way the model is now, we are, you know, with traditional news outlets fed certain types of media, the ones that are the most sensational and will get the most views. Um, but like you said, we're also moving into as consumers, the more long form formats like podcasts or Mm -hmm. the, you know, some of the stuff that I see that's pretty interesting is like these, these comedy type news, um, networks. So like, like satire. uh, Yeah. Like, uh, last week tonight or the daily show or real time with Bill Maher, like all of these things are kind of a way to be up to date on things without the same um, spin on it that you would see from like a Fox News or a CNN or right. anything else. And it doesn't, kind of, like, it doesn't hurt way.
1: your psyche as much either. When you're watching satire, you laugh uh-huh. rather than being like, oh my God, this is so horrible. I had no idea Obama was a, a, a Muslim born in Kenya. Like, <laughs> <laughs> which, by the way, in 2016, 50% of Trump supporters believed that fact. So that just shows really? wow. how much fake news has become an issue. Um,
0: Yeah. How do you so how do you deal with like how what is your own consumption of news and what do you like how do you parse all of this stuff that's going on and you know all this information that's available?
1: That's a really good question. So my personal news consumption patterns are I listen to a liberal leaning and a conservative leaning podcast pretty much every single day so that I can mm-hmm. see what both versions of reality are thinking. And mm-hmm. the liberal side is the New-, the New York Times, The Daily Podcast, yep. which I love. And mm-hmm. then on the conservative side, I listen to Scott Adams, Coffee with Scott Adams. And yeah. I think he's one of the smartest guys on the conservative side. Sometimes I'll listen to Ben Shapiro too. I really admire that he is willing to go against Trump if he thinks that what Trump is doing is wrong, but he'll also praise Trump when Trump does a good job with north korea or with something else so Mm. and i think that's a common thread that i've seen with the whole intellectual dark web is that Mm. what sets these people apart is that they're not just cookie cutter pundits they don't just go along with whatever their party line is you know sam harris will say when he's wrong um you know all of these a lot of these people will evolve their thinking over time as new facts come in and they're not always mm-hmm. going to go with what someone who considers himself a liberal to say to be true or what someone who considers himself a conservative would say to be true they go with whatever mm-hmm. they think is true based on all the information and all the nuances of whatever the context are of any situation that they're addressing and that's something mm-hmm. that i think people really crave and it's funny that even if you look at mainstream media there are some inklings, some hints that they might be going into that more nuanced direction. Like Fox Mm -hmm. News brought on Donna Brazile, who is like a, you know, liberal pundit. I know that New York Times has started bringing on some conservative writers that are really, Mm -hmm. um, you know, pissing off a lot of their more liberal followers. But (laughs) ultimately, this is a good thing. It's good to have real people with nuanced opinions on both sides cuz that's how you'll get an accurate representation of whatever issue you're discussing.
0: Yeah, and that kind of solves that whole groupthink issue that we're that you mentioned in the beginning that mm-hmm. our parents' generation grew up with. When we have diverse opinions, we can actually figure out what is true rather than what, you know, what does my party think is correct and right. you know the, this this bias tendency that we have seen is one of the things that kind of kept me from really you know reading or um, watching the news uh, especially on mainstream channels you know I I find myself just getting depressed when I see how biased Fox News is or how I mean even biased how CNN is like or, Rachel like, all Maddow
1: of these is the classic example for the liberal side where, Mm -hmm. you know, I think she's very smart and well-intentioned, but she goes a little bit too far sometimes Mm -hmm. with connecting all the dots of Russian collusion. And I think that's kind of the biggest example of where the liberal side went a little too far is that like, yeah, you know, Trump is someone who is gonna do whatever is best for himself. And he's definitely a narcissist. He's definitely a petty criminal. (laughs) <laughs> but he might not be as bad as people like Rachel Maddow are making him out to be, like premeditating the. I mean, who knows about yeah. that situation? But my only point is that the left goes a little too far on the left side. The conservatives go a little too far on the other side. And I find myself seeing the only saviors as those people who are in the so called intellectual dark web who actually mm-hmm. have, you know, full one hour to three hour long conversations where they explore an issue from every side. And that's the yeah. only way that you can really have a full view of what's going on.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm not super informed. On, since I don't really pay attention to the super biased media, I feel like I don't really see the bias as much frequently just because like you said, I I listen to these more neutral thinkers that, that are part of mm-hmm. the center. And I like that. And I think. I think I saw a stat one time where like 70% of Americans would view themselves as centrist, but it's just, no one wants to say it to each other. Like if you're in a conservative family, you don't want to say that you have some liberal tendencies, or if you're in a liberal family, you don't want to say that you have conservative tendencies. So everyone just kind of stays quiet about it, and you know, consumes media on their own. But when we have these podcast hosts like Sam Harris, and I would even venture to say Scott Adams isn't that conservative. I would say he's just like reasonable with, you know, a lot of con- oh, yeah. he's probably I mean, conservative fiscally, but, you know, socially, he's right. not super conservative. So, no, I mean, you he, know, he's another centrist.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love his opinion on the abortion issue, which is that let's just let the women decide. Men don't have any extra information to add here. If the women decide it's right, then it's right. If the women decide that it should be outlawed, then it should be outlawed. But there's no reason for men to tell a woman what to do. Like they should decide for themselves as the biological partner that has been given the decision-making power with this, Mm -hmm. you know, facet of life, it -hmm. should be up to them. So I, I really like his, some of his opinions, like, like that, and he'll go against the grain. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's pretty amazing when you look at the reach of some of these people. Uh, it's it's absolutely incredible. Like for instance, the New York Times, they have about four million monthly subscribers, and okay. they're approaching that number of listeners for even a single episode of the New York Times the Daily podcast, which is like three point eight or something and growing. Mm-hmm. So. It's already like, then they're not really, I mean, they definitely make money from, from their podcast. I think they brought in $10 million last year, but it's not nearly as much as what they make from their print and digital subscriptions, which are the bulk of their money. So on the business model side, it seems like the traditional media are having their new forms of media being subsidized by the old forms of media, but the old forms of media are dying out. And they're going to need to replace them with the new forms of media and it's having a lot of ripple effects through the whole news food chain Mm -hmm. like if you're ben shapiro and you have the daily wire you're very well positioned because you don't pay journalists to go out and find what the real situation is in any you know place that's newsworthy like when there's an active shooter like you know real traditional news organizations hire journalists to go out there interview people find out what's going on and most quote unquote news organizations now they don't do anything closely resembling that they instead mm-hmm. just take whatever information is already available online and then they'll just respin it with whatever they think whatever preconceived notions they already have and it's not a you know, it's not a terrible thing. I mean, we do something kind of similar on, on this podcast, which is based on, you know, our experience and our worldview and and people tend to be willing to pay more for opinion than just like straight facts. Right. But I am a little curious about how this is gonna ripple through the news industry when they're not spending as much money paying reporters to go out and figure out what the real situation is, and instead we're left with primary sources that oftentimes have an agenda, oftentimes it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, Facebook marketers or PR agencies or big corporations that are trying to scapegoat some group so that they don't rise up and demand higher taxes for the wealthy or whatever it Mm may be. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah, so I was doing a little bit of research into just the structure of the news industry, Mm -hmm. Um, and it seems like there aren't... So there's a whole bunch of local news outlets
1: right. that,
0: you know, those are kind of the, the foundation of everything. But it turns out that a lot of these local news outlets are owned by bigger and bigger corporations. And right. like as, as these, um, you know, you can go up the food chain all the way up to, you know, giant, um, I, I don't know who the, the top, uh, companies like Sinclair
1: are are. or. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I guess Sinclair is particularly uh, scary have you yeah. seen that video uh so basically um there was a last year some video came out where the um there were probably hundreds of news stations but they're all fed the same lines yeah the must like, run segments yeah And basically this, some, some YouTube creator overlaid all of these different news out, these local news outlets saying the same thing. And they sounded like drones. Like they're all saying we are, you know, upholding journalistic integrity, but they're all saying it at the same time. I just felt like I was listening to some sort of like north korean propaganda or like nazi propaganda it was it was truly i'm gonna share that on
1: our instagram so people can see it because i love that video yeah um but this but this i think gets at there's really two types of fake news and one of them is a lot more sinister than the other yeah the less sinister one is where they're just trying to sell products and they'll bend truth a little bit to really get you to buy and this is like the classic, you know, Facebook marketer trying to, you know, couldn't have good high conversions and trying to get high engagement on their content. And that's something Facebook Mm -hmm. and Google are very familiar with. And I, over time, I'm pretty confident that we'll be able to iron out those quality, um, you know, the quality and and getting the right sort of feed in place for each of those platforms. But the more sinister type is when there's really big money, big corporations, pulling the strings and pushing an agenda. Mm-hmm. And there's even if you have, you know, heard it all about Murdoch's rise to power and the Murdoch empire, it's really fascinating, but there's even the so-called Murdoch playbook which is basically how he achieved success and was able to create this huge media empire, and mm-hmm. the Murdoch playbook is essentially do right by people who are the decision makers and they'll do right by you. So even mm-hmm. though there are antitrust laws in place where you can't own more than two newspapers in the UK because they don't want anyone swaying public opinion for their own reasons. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he that Rupert Murdoch went there and basically supported Margaret Thatcher with his two existing newspapers helped get her elected and then once she was elected she basically turned a blind eye when he went and bought the third newspaper and he did the same exact thing in the u.s where he helped ronald reagan's rise to power and then once ronald reagan was in office he also turned a blind eye and murdoch expanded his empire and this same pattern is taking place across a couple different major corporations But you can see where it's just like, you know, you scratch your back, I'll scratch mine. And even though Mm -hmm. it's not what's best for the people, hey, it's really good for me. And I only really care about my direct descendants anyways. So, you know, let's just Mm -hmm. have this mutually beneficial arrangement. And oftentimes it's unspoken. Um, But that's what I really worry about. That type of fake news where it's pre-planned out and where there's alliances among the people in power and the people that are supposed to be regulating these media empires, that's what I'm most worried about.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the truly scary thing about all of this, too, is, well, one, the public opinion on various things in the past have uh, been swayed because of these sorts of news outlets that have way too much power. Like all of the uh, drug, like the drug hysteria, whether that's cannabis mm-hmm. or psychedelics back you know, in the fifties and sixties, that was all based on, um, well there, you know, there's, there's several different, uh, people that didn't want it to happen, particularly the tobacco industry, particularly, um, uh, I think I forgot the name of this guy. Um, but he, um, Joe Rogan talks about him all the time where he was the one who had a whole bunch of, um, forests that produced paper. But it turns out that hemp is probably a way more sustainable way to produce paper right. and cheaper. Um so this this guy, I, I really need to look up the name of, of him, but he basically wrote he owned a whole bunch of newspapers and basically said that hemp, you know, it makes black people rape and kill our women, basically. Wow. Or or Mexicans. And like these these sorts of um news I mean, reading this sort of this sort of news made people think that all drugs were bad, and it made people bad, and it made people rape and kill our women.
1: And there was another one that was said that when people take LSD, they go blind, and there was like this whole scare that people thought they were gonna go blind, and it was like because they just like
0: look up into the sun or something. Yeah, like it was totally
1: (laughs) bunk science, but bunk reporting.
0: Yeah, and there's Mm -hmm. there's so many different. things like that. I mean, I think sugar was another one. Smoking was another one. Like all, there's a, there's right. a whole bunch of pieces that can sway public opinion that, that is truly bad for society. But the people that are in power that can, you know, run these stories benefit from, you know, the rest of society, um, not benefiting and, right. you know, being hurt. So it's yeah, just it, really it's really
1: hard that, to know like which sources you can trust also. Mm -hmm. which I think that's partly why you know part of what's different about being a journalist today is that you're kind of like a mini celebrity I mean if you follow journalists on Twitter they are a force in their own right above and beyond Mm -hmm. what their actual publication is and I think part of that's because people really want someone that they know they can trust and if they have some sort of rapport with this journalist then, and they sort of know that, okay, they think in the same way as I do on a number of important issues, then they're more likely to listen to this person to what they have to say about the next issue that that comes up. Um, So I think that's going to become a bigger and bigger trend of people wanting to trust reporters, and also people wanting to trust, you know, certain brand names, like the New York Times stock price has just gone up, you know, over time, whereas other Media have just you know completely gone gone downwards, and mm. that's partially because New York Times has presented itself as a trustworthy news source that's worth paying for. Yeah, a- and this also gets at the business model because there's really two competing business models. There's the subscription model where people are really only going to pay if they really value the quality of the information, if they mm-hmm. think that by accessing the information you have, they'll be better suited to live their life then they'll pay for it but Mm -hmm. the advertising model is the other model and that's all just it doesn't matter what happens after they click so long as they click so even Mm -hmm. if it's a total lie even if you're completely misrepresenting reality if it gets them to click then you're making money and that's just you know circles the drain of content to just get you know basic crap
0: yeah I mean, that kind of points to, I mean, you can look at both of those and, you know, it's obvious which one is, it has better aligned incentives with the um, end consumer. Mm -hmm. So obviously when, when we're talking about the one where you pay for high quality content, that's when the incentives are aligned. But Mm -hmm. when you're talking about, you know, just what is the most sensational thing that'll get the most views and most... Um ad clicks, or you know whatever the the ad revenue um is that you know that sort of model means that they're just putting out as much information as humanly possible where where new stories don't even last for more than like three days like even even the biggest stories last three days because it's on to the next thing to make right. sure that there's always a stream of new uh clicks and eyes coming onto their site or or listens, you know, whatever yeah. whatever it is. Um, but
1: this is a relatively new phenomenon. So CNN created the 24-hour news cycle not that long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before then, it was just you had the nightly news, and that's the most you would listen to it. But I actually think the trend may have bottomed out, meaning it may have gotten as bad as it's going to get as far as people just having shallow surface-level news, because the trend, as I see it from a high level, is that we had everyone was sort of in the same mindset with these like you know few big news sources and then we went into the 24 hour news where there's only so much stuff going on in the world at any given time so it was a lot of rehashing the same things a lot of small sound bites like interview segments and then you know with twitter's early rise it was all about these like short form sort of snackable content but now i'm seeing more of a move towards more holistic nuanced in-depth yeah. uh, deep dives into content itself mm-hmm. and especially with the rise of not just investigative journalists but data scientists who work with investigative journalists yeah. I, that's a really positive indicator from what I'm seeing like for instance mm-hmm. the New York Times just had this fantastic piece about facial recognition technology yeah where you know, rather than just having the typical, like, three anecdotes of, like, three people you happen to talk to, <laughs> which is not real data science. It's just, like, yeah. storytelling. Yeah, Instead much. of that, they actually had a camera in Bryant Park in New York City capturing the facial patterns of thousands of people every day. And they showed how they're able to map out all of these people, who they are, where they're going, who they're meeting all these private details about their life. And it was such a better way of getting at the essence of the facial technology issue than to mm-hmm. just like ask three people what they think about it. Yeah. And, and I see that more and more, especially Axios, the markup. There are some really great news outlets that are taking this sort of data science plus investigative journalism approach. Yeah. And I really think that can be powerful if used for good. If it's yep. used for manipulation to drive an agenda, then obviously that's terrible.
0: Yeah. See, the thing I really liked, when so you shared that that news article with me, and it really stood out to me in a few different ways. So the first thing with this New York Times article is they had this, almost like a slide deck in the very beginning. I just mm-hmm. viewed it on my phone and you went through and it just gave you the key pointers of the story. Like this is this is it just straight facts, no right. Attention. This is this is what it was and then it kind of gave a visualization of what's actually happening. And then also the way the story was written, it almost lets you form your own opinion about what's going on because mm. it presents it in a way that's so unbiased. It's just like, oh, this this is what's happening what do I think about it? Rather than, here's what is possible with artificial intelligence, it's bad.
1: right? Right, So
0: so I just, I like the way that they, they did that. And I think that is one thing, you know, um, that I would like to see in the future a little bit more to let people form their own opinions rather than being told what their opinion should be about stuff.
1: Yeah, Um, totally. I mean, this, this kind of gets at just, what I think about the news in general, where if we're able to agree on the facts, mm-hmm. then the more opinions, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. If we cannot agree on the facts, then mm-hmm. the more opinions, the worse. Because it's, yeah. it's just, you, you cannot start to solve a problem unless you agree that the problem is real. And you can't agree a problem is real unless you agree on the facts. So even though a lot of people say local news is what is the foundation of journalism. I think Mm -hmm. really the facts are the foundation of journalism. And whenever you write an article that's supposed to be somewhat scholarly or reputable, you always need to reference some sort of data. And Mm -hmm. not all data sources are created equal. If you reference Pew Research or some .gov source, that'll be way more respected than if you just reference, like, you know social media examiner or something
0: yeah yeah
1: um so i think that that's going to be a really important facet of the future of news is whether we're able to effectively have the same data that everyone can reference and then you can spin off whatever opinions you want but as long as it's rooted in that data or if it's going to become like everyone has their own data and, you know, alternative facts, like that kind of yeah. a world is a scary world. And I hope we don't go in that direction.
0: Yeah. And that's that's the other problem I see, especially when journalists try to report on scientific findings, because basically an entire scientific paper that took anywhere from like five to 20 really in-depth pages to write, they're trying to distill it in a way that everyone can read and depending on which news sources Um, reading it, they'll focus on potentially totally insignificant parts of the findings. So like if for climate change research, they'll focus on something that's, you know, kind of points to the fact that, oh, this has always happened. So this is why, You, you know, every climate change paper knows that cycles have happened in the past. But, you know, what they will dismiss then is, you know, everything else about the humans causing what you know, all of this climate change. So with scientific papers, journalists can focus on different things because Mm -hmm. there is so much data there. Um, And then the other problem that that I think we should talk about is the idea that sometimes we, like even the best journalists that are trying to be as nuanced as possible, they might see some content that is from a seemingly reputable reputable source but it's fake like deep fakes so we can if we can generate you know Donald Trump or Barack Obama saying something that is totally you know it it would paint them in a really bad light you know that is something that is pretty much possible right now and since we're doing all of these recordings with our voice there's definitely going to be enough audio content of us for anyone in the future to, you know, make us say whatever they want us to say,
1: right and, right? and
0: that's, you know, that's sort of scary to think about. So we need some way to really have a ground truth for everything.
1: Yeah, totally. And I've heard some people say that they think the deep fake concern is overblown. That there, it will be really hard for someone to really, in the long run, make everyone think that this is a real video. However, uh-huh. the damage may already be done even when people realize later that it's fake. It's kind of yeah. like if you're in a a uh, you know in a debate, a political debate, and your opponent asks you, "When did you stop beating your wife <laughs> It's like there's <laughs> nothing you can say that will help the situation. Just the fact that he asked you that question is going to be uh-huh. bad for how the public perceives you, and in the same yeah. way if you make a fake video of someone doing something horrible, even if you know it's not real, that image is still embedded in your mind and yeah. it's going to be there subliminally for X amount of time and if that's the time that you're taking to make the decision of whether to vote for that person or not then that has mm-hmm. a real impact. Um,
0: yeah. I what, mean, go ahead. Well, so the the thing with video I think is that that'll probably be a little bit hard to do in the long term to make people think that this didn't happen. What I think will be easier is just audio. So for example, and this isn't me like I don't know what happened in this case. I don't know if the technology is there yet. Um but the whole uh Donald Trump thing in the bus when he said, you know, grab her by the pussy or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: the ho- Like that was all audio. that was all
0: audio. So the, right, so right. that, you know, you, that sort of thing could be potentially done to Anybody, right? like you could make anybody say anything without actually having the, the audio or the video to be associated with that, which would be easier to accomplish, right. which is sort of scary, especially with the rise of audio in general.
1: Totally. Um, I mean, the best solution that I've heard for this problem is if you can have some sort of authentication that uh, proves that this video was filmed on this device, in this location, on this date. And there are, we already have that to some extent. I mean, there is metadata. If you film something on your iPhone, it stamps the location, the time and the device ID. So we already have the building blocks to have that authentication. And I think it's going to get even better over time, especially as these tech companies battle for privacy, because that seems to be Mm -hmm. a major trend. Like Apple's biggest asset is the fact that people know that what happens on your iPhone stays in your iPhone and the mm-hmm. fact that Facebook is moving from connecting everyone to just mm-hmm. bringing people closer together in the ways that they want and basically creating privacy walls for everyone they don't want to be connected with. I mean, that's kind of their Facebook's yeah. new pivot. Yeah, I think it's going to be there's going to be better and better ways of authenticating whether this video actually was filmed on the device and at the time and in the location that they said it was. Mm-hmm. But like I said, even if you can debunk a video after the fact or an audio clip, it still can do a lot of damage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean think about, um, public's like public stocks or something along those lines. If you were to do some sort of slander of a CEO or some, some big stakeholder or, there was a secret recording of a big deal that went through to mm-hmm. artificially rise a stock price for a short period of time. Even if that stock rise is, even if that is figured out within um, 10 minutes, it doesn't matter. The stock could have already gone up, let's say, even 1%. Whoever, right. you know, if if the, the adversary is, you know, also s- trading stocks, you know, to... To sway general opinion obviously it's illegal to do this market manipulation but you know if you're secretive enough then you could probably pull it off and it's that's another kind of scary thing where things the damage can be done in a super short period of time even if you know in a relatively short period of time the truth is figured out so right so that's that's one issue but you know like you said there are ways that we can authenticate um i i think that metadata can be manipulated uh which is an issue but there are things where data could be put on some sort of blockchain immediately when it's created mm-hmm. and then we can know exactly that like this piece of data is unfalsifiable it definitely happened and right. that's probably that's one of those uses for blockchain that is potentially going to be key in the future of figuring out what is true and keeping the truth kind of, or keeping a a ground or base of truth, uh, available to the public. Mm. And I hope that, you know, I hope that can happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The news is also susceptible to this kind of deep fakes or any sort of faking of the news because it's typically one time only consumption. And yeah. when I was thinking about, cause you know, we did the future of media as a past episode, and I was thinking what's really unique about the news as opposed to other forms of media and what's unique is that it's one time only. You know, you you may have, you know, you may listen this morning to, um, you know, Artie Shaw or some jazz musician who lived hundreds of years ago, but you probably didn't listen to, uh, or you probably didn't read like a newspaper article from the time that Jimmy Carter was president. Like no one, no one, reads the news more than a week after it's happened for the most Mm -hmm. part. So it's really tough business when you compare it to say the music business or to writing novels or Mm -hmm. to nonfiction content that's evergreen. And that's been part of the part of the problem is that it's such an important facet of any democracy. Like people call it like the, you know, the third, the fourth legislative branch kind of, it's like the independent Mm -hmm. press is really key. Yeah, yep. it's a really hard business to make money. So, one of the possible solutions that I've been thinking about is if the news was more like a public a publicly provided um mm. utility, kind yeah. of like how, you know, the the government already pays for NPR, National Public Radio. Yeah. They pay for mm-hmm. other forms, you know, PBS. They pay for yeah. other forms of content. And if the government can Play a bigger role here, but maybe establish an independent agency that is not at all influenced by you know the money of corporations or by you know political agendas, which you know that in itself would be difficult. But if we mm. were able to establish that, and the news can really just be about reporting the most accurate facts possible, and it's funded by the government, so they don't have to worry about oh, am I are we making enough? You know, do we have enough monthly uniques? And yep. if in, if instead of focusing on any sort of opinion, it just focused on the facts and the government kind of provided those facts, that could mm-hmm. be a good solution if executed well.
0: Yeah, the, the one issue there would be if, you know, are these journalists supposed to investigate the government itself? Like, is the government, you know, part of the um, influencing power of whatever organization this is? Um, It doesn't seem that case with something like NPR because it is sort of an independent organization and it just, I don't know exactly how it works, but it's probably like subsidies or something from the government or, yeah. Yeah, I don't know enough about how
1: it works, but I know that the people that are attracted to work at NPR or PBS are very independent-minded. Yeah. So for that reason alone, it seems much more trustworthy than, you know, Fox Mm -hmm. or MSNBC. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a, possible good long-term solution as long as it can stay independent
0: yeah that's that's the issue is how can it how can these stay independent um but i mean having a board that is broad enough uh, with people on all sides of the spectrum you know that that would probably be the best way to have some sort of oversight committee i guess like a board that isn't going to be swayed um, or yeah. has a whole bunch of diverse opinions. Well, we've talked
1: about this before, the ministry of truth, yeah. <laughs> which could backfire if the wrong person's in power.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, if there's too much power to one specific person. It, I wonder what the, you know, this is a little off topic, but I wonder what the the optimal structure of a board would be. Like, how many how many people do you actually need to make sure that there isn't any chance of it, or there's a really low chance of, money influencing the decision of a board like does it need to be a dozen does it need to be three dozen
1: Um, yeah i don't know i mean it it could also be the case that if you had the right sort of ai system that could give a confidence interval for any given fact like imagine if there was mm -hmm. a public resource where you could type in any fact or any link or any sentence and it would Mm -hmm. give you the confidence interval on whether or not this is true Mm -hmm. And then you could access whatever data set. Hopefully it's open source so people know exactly how it's calculating these confidence intervals. Um, But, I mean, it's really hard to obviously create that sort of system. But if we had some bedrock of truth where people can just everyone can go check this one website Mm -hmm. and it's open source, so we know it's not doing anything nefarious, Mm
0: -hmm. that would
1: be a great outcome, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think that would all start with a good source of data, like a ground truth data, whether those are scientific peer-reviewed papers which have issues in and of themselves depending on what the field is. Um but the other thing too is we could have these sources of all like video and audio archives that some some system can go through and kind of check, does this sentence match up with something that actually happened? And, mm-hmm. um, and it can actually go check a database. You know, it can right. just query and see if this is true.
1: Now, the one thing that's really tricky about this is that something can be true and it can still mislead you. Yeah. Like, Like, for instance, the way that you phrase something can totally change public opinion. And I know this really well as a marketer, where, mm-hmm. for instance, if you, like, most people are against the death tax, but they're for the estate tax for wealthy individuals. And they're the exact same thing. <laughs> most people, <laughs> Just the way that you phrase it. Most people are f- against illegal aliens, but they're okay with undocumented workers filling gaps in the job market. And they're the exact yeah. same thing. So it's like yeah. the the words that you use, even if it's accurate and factual, you can still manipulate people just based on the language that you're using.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I wonder
0: w- if there would be a way to, like, so if you query a system, because we talk about this a lot, to have some sort of credibility checker, mm-hmm. um, and if you could get a yes, this is true these are all the different ways that you could say the same thing. These are, this is how biased this specific statement is. So it's like credibility bias, the, you know,
1: right, right.
0: The, the hidden meanings in this, like all of the different things that, that you would want to know.
1: And this, this is not so far fetched because Google now has a, an algorithm that doesn't just read the dumb keywords and spit out associated keywords. It actually comprehends what's being typed into the the search engine. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: it's called RankBrain as opposed to PageRank. So so I actually think that this is much more feasible than most people would assume. Mm -hmm. And it really gets into what could be possible in the future scenarios as we think about how AI, these big tech companies, and the interplay with data and journalists and Mm -hmm. different narratives and different powers pushing different agendas how that can all coalesce into the worst case, the best case, and the most likely outcome. So Maybe
0: that's a good time to get into it then.
1: Yeah, let's do it. All right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll get into future scenarios. All right, Justin, what do you think is the worst case scenario for the future of news?
0: Worst case scenario. Yeah, so I have a few things that are, it's kind of a multifaceted worst case scenario. So one is there still tends to be misaligned incentives for uh, news agencies and big broadcasting companies where we ultimately end up with the continuation of super biased journalism and super biased stories. So that's, that's one thing. And then as this continues, we'll start to see propaganda uh, be a thing. I mean, it's it really is a thing already. But um, same thing like with the whole Sinclair deal, we'll start to see these topics pushed that will, you know, be in the interest of corporations that are paying for these stories. And I think this is all due to misaligned incentives. Um, the other thing that I think is part of the worst case scenario is that there's so much information. And I think the, the amount of information that's being generated and the amount of content continues to increase. And in the worst case scenario, there's just so much information that no one can truly parse what's happening and what, like how the world is actually working. And I think that's an issue, especially when you have these journalists that are going out and really putting their life on the line to get a story to really um, uncover something that is truly sinister about the nature of how some country or some company or something is going on, but there's so much information that all of this stuff can just get covered up. Hmm. Um, And then another worst case is we have realistic uh, AI video voice, voice generation Um, That can basically make anyone say or do anything that they want Um, Which like we talked about that might be a short-term thing, but the damage can be done in the short term Um, and Then as news cycles get shorter and shorter there like no one even knows what to keep up with anymore so there's like no one there's no sense of priority of what are the the biggest stories and Who like what should we even be paying attention to as people and Mm. with with the shorter and shorter news cycles? Um, we can basically forget about everything that happens. So if like, for example, you know, we see this kind of with the whole Trump presidency, like there's just so much that gets spewed out that you can't keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. So, so there's just new stories every 10 minutes about what's going on. Um, and that makes us kind of lose track of what's truly important about or what the true issues are with this, um, this presidency. Or you know, and it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be this presidency. It'll be companies or something else. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of really bad things that can happen with all of those, um, and the, those are kind of my my worst case scenarios.
1: Yeah, mine is is pretty similar. Where it seems like a lot of the people who are already in power, they have a, an incentive to stop any sort of progress that will ruffle the the feathers of their empire or whatever advantages they currently have. So Mm -hmm. I can see a system where there's enough misinformation in the news consistently that a large swath of the population is not focused on what are actually the most important problems of our time and instead they're focused on non-issues. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing this right now where I would say the two biggest problems of our time is AI, including like autonomous weaponry and and, uh, you know, runaway AI and climate change. Those are the two biggest issues facing us right now. And the Mm -hmm. more that we're focused on tribal issues like, oh, those people aren't like us. They're not good. They don't have the real good Christian values. And (laughs) just all of those issues are so much less important than existential threats to humanity and to life as a whole on our planet. And the the, the problem is, is that you don't have to convince everyone that these aren't issues. You just have to convince like 30 or 40% of the population that it's fake. And then there won't be enough momentum to actually solve these critical issues. Mm-hmm. So for me, the technology is is amoral. It could be used for good. It could be used for bad. But if yeah. the people who are pulling the strings are just out for themselves and for their short-term success, and they don't really care about the long-term habitability of the planet or mm-hmm. the fact that AI may do some pretty terrible things if we're not careful, mm-hmm. then that could lead to any number of the... Horrible scenarios that we've talked about on past episodes. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. What do you think uh, for the best case? Best case
1: scenario. Yeah, so for the best case, I was actually thinking a lot about Max Tegmark's book, Life 3.0, in this scenario, because in Life 3.0, they create a runaway AI that's more intelligent than any other AI and it becomes a media mogul in its own right. So it starts Mm -hmm. creating all of these, first they're just like CGI animated films because Mm -hmm. you don't have to hire anyone else to do that. And then eventually once it gets good enough, it can actually create like real people that look identical, that goes beyond the uncanny valley where you would Mm -hmm. have no idea this isn't a real person. And then they basically create news stations all over the world. They hire some real journalists so it doesn't look suspicious. And it's like, and then it pushes people towards the middle rather than pushing them towards the extremes. So it focuses on the commonality of human experiences, not the divergences of human experience. Uh And this results in much greater collaboration People are able to address the real problems. People are able to Mm -hmm. focus on what really matters in life because they're not being misdirected in all these different ways. And so I could see a scenario where there's an AI that is really sort of doing what's best and focusing on truthfulness and what's actually most important. And so Mm -hmm. in that sense, it pushes us towards like what we should actually be spending our time on. And it's easily able to debunk anything that's not factually correct. And if this is combined with just many nuanced opinions of of people being able to, you know, democratize the news, essentially, I mean, that's what's happening. And Mm -hmm. in the best case, if Google and Facebook and Apple and other sites, Twitter, continue to improve their algorithms so that they're giving people what is valuable to them and not just giving them what is going to get them to click, like what's most outrageous or what makes them, you know, they've, they've done studies about what gets people to actually share, what emotions get people to share and it's anger, it's titillage, it's curiosity, it's like surprise, but no one shares something when they're sad or when it's boring, right? right? Or when it's just nice. And like, a lot
0: of things are boring, too. Like, a lot of important things tend to be boring. Right, so. like,
1: you know, pension funds and tax reform. <laughs> and Yeah. Yeah, so I guess if we used AI, and and even if it's not like some new AI newcomer that comes and does all these unexpected things, even if it's, say, Google search that just gets better and better and better at prioritizing information that's reputable over that, which is not, then that'll mm-hmm. have huge effects on all of society. I mean, the amount of control that just Facebook and Google have over the news industry is incredible. So how they respond is big. And then there are only five news corporations or five media companies that control 90% of everything we hear and see. And it used to be 50 companies back in the 80s. So there's been major consolidation. So when I look towards the future, it's like, what these five companies do and what these two social media companies do is basically mm-hmm. going to write the future history
0: yeah yeah i mean that's uh it's super important that facebook and google can get this right and twitter like every all these tech companies that are involved in this
1: and they um, have pretty good indicators like i it seems like they're yeah. moving in the right direction
0: and it yeah i think they the nice thing is that they seem to care. Like it, mm-hmm. there's not evil people running these companies. I think the the incentive, like the incentives with the economy as a whole, were just the way it played out with their current companies. Like it it led to some not so great things in Facebook's and Twitter's case, for example. Right, um, but it
1: was more collateral damage than a premeditated yeah, exactly. hit on democracy
0: yeah it's not like they they set out to be evil and do things that was bad that were bad for um, right. society, but it just kind of happened it's like
1: um, Kara, Kara Swisher has this quote where she she says that Facebook didn't get hacked by the Russians. it got used exactly as Facebook was intended to be used yeah <laughs> which is yeah. scary in its own right, but that also means they can fix the way that you use Facebook so that it's not mm-hmm. as easily exploitable
0: yeah. Yeah, and, and as, as for my um, best case, mine was actually really similar to yours. So in the short term, best case would be we can really start to focus on truth. Truth it, almost, almost in the sense that we treat journalism as we treat scientific peer-reviewed studies, mm-hmm. where everyone's trying to poke holes in stories and every you know all these other journalists are working to figure out how true everything is obviously this maybe maybe it's not other journalists but maybe it's a an ai that isn't actually creating content but it's the sort of credibility check that we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier so everything everything kind of gets a stamp of approval or a score based on, you know, whatever they're writing. Like imagine if
1: you're in Google and every news article has a little like rotten tomato score next to it.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, Obviously they're boiling it all down to one score might be hard because if you're, if you're truly an investigative journalist, you are basically the only source of data. Mm. You and I mean, Obviously if you're a good investigative journalist you you uncover different sources but you somehow need to publish your news sources and if your source is a super you know someone that is really in hiding you know that's obviously another issue mm-hmm. how is how is this AI system going to going to figure that out but you know let's let's assume that it's a super intelligent AI that has access to everything um but Anyways, the so that's kind of the short term is to just realign the incentives to focus on truth rather than to focus on the number of eyes and then the amount engagement. of engagement. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but long term, again, kind of like you were saying, is we have a an AI system that can just tell us what that you know this could obviously easily go to a worst case scenario, but if it is a benign. Um, A.I. that's really just trying to tell everybody and inform humanity of what's truly going on. Um, And it can also tell the different opinions of people like it's it's this new source that kind of fulfills this this truth gap that we're seeing that.
1: um, Right. Well, I want to I want to touch on one thing you said earlier, which is that. It would be far better if news organizations were optimizing for truth as opposed to engagement.
0: And I mm. totally
1: agree with you. My question is how can that happen? Like how can we align incentives so that news organizations actually benefit by focusing on the truth as opposed to focusing on what gets clicks? Already there are some downsides to being hyperpartisan. So for instance, Tucker Carlson has basically no blue chip advertisers left on his program. The only advertiser left is like MyPillow, NRA, GOP. Like there's there's no Uh mainstream companies that advertise on his show. So Mm -hmm. if we took that a little further, and maybe if you are a news source that's focused on the truth, as opposed to an opinion source that's just focused on opinions, you should have access to all of these blue chip advertisers, whereas maybe if you're more opinion focused, partisan focused, then you don't have access to those advertisers. I mean, that's that would be like a just officializing something that's sort of already happening in yeah, the system. Yeah, so it's but, harder
0: to get funding if you're more biased. Basically, is yeah, that kind like of what you're-
1: yeah. I mean, advertisers, because you know what happens is Tucker Carlson says something crazy on his show and racist. And then uh-huh. all these people on Twitter reach out to any advertiser and say, you got to pull it or else I'm, I'm never buying Tide pods again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Tide pulls their ads. Tucker Carlson loses a lot of money. You know, they'll get other yeah. advertisers, but those advertisers aren't going to pay as much as the high end blue chip advertisers. So there yeah. already are some repercussions. But mm-hmm. if there were greater repercussions, then that would align incentives Mm-hmm. more fully
0: yeah i mean that that's one thing that sam harris talks about is if there was truly a social um problem with you spewing falsehoods then that would that would pretty much solve right. most of the problems we see in the news like if if you were if you were socially ostracized for being a shill for something like that would mm-hmm. you know that would be good but the i think the issue is we we don't have that in place and the people that ha- that have the funding and fund these these sorts of news stories tend to have all the power right whereas the the ground you know and the, it's really
1: hard to litigate because free speech is so prized in our yeah. country
0: mm-hmm. which is you know which is good, a good thing
1: but it's kind of like you know the classic ruling that you have free speech, but you don't have free freedom to shout fire in a crowded movie theater. Yeah. But I think what we're seeing in the news is something almost approaching that shouting fire in a crowded movie theater, which is like, you know, if an asteroid's coming towards Earth and you say, Mm -hmm. oh, no, it's bunk science, that's like, that's pretty bad. And we're seeing similar things where people downplay the real problems of the day and they misdirect yeah. with other issues that they want to talk about. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think I that think ultimately we have to align incentives. And this goes for pretty much everything that we've talked about in the podcast. Like mm-hmm. a, a lot of it boils down to the misaligned incentives, whether that's healthcare or something else. We just need to make sure incentives are aligned.
1: Yeah, you, you have um, to make it easy to be a good person and hard mm-hmm. to be a bad person. Right now, yeah. it's easy to be a bad person when it comes to the news.
0: And just, I mean, just the way the system in general is designed. Yeah, like you were saying, it's its easy enough. Like, if you have power and you have your own self-interest in mind, you know, it's easy enough to just throw money at somebody to, you know, especially, like, scientific papers. Since, So mm. one thing that really bothers me is, back I think it was back in the 50s or 60s, a, heart, a couple of Harvard scientists were paid like $50,000 over the course of a year or something from someone in the sugar industry, which basically said saturated fat is bad, sugar is not bad, mm, kind of thing. Right. So, right. that, I mean, that skewed the whole scientific yeah. world in the dietary space for several decades. Yeah. Just because there was a little bit of money. I mean, $50,000 to literally ruin the health of the country, pretty much. Like yeah that, yeah, that may be a little extreme, but like it it's just That's bad when, when the incentives are misaligned like that and, and right. scientific papers are you know, it's part of news because it ultimately becomes news. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, what do you so what do you think for the likely scenario?: most likely scenario:
1: Yeah, so for my most likely scenario. I definitely don't think conspiracies are going away anytime soon Mm -hmm. because conspiracies are really uh, what's the right word they're they're psychologically very attractive to people because Mm -hmm. they make you feel like you have some secret knowledge that other people don't have and therefore Mm -hmm. you're superior to these other people that think they Mm -hmm. know what's going on but really only you know the truth, or you and your small group of tribesmen know yep. the truth, and
0: you and your other flat earthers.
1: Right. I mean, flat Earth <laughs> is a great example. Um, another great example is Pizzagate. So, oh yeah. At the time, Pizzagate was big, which is basically maybe the,
0: tell the story of yeah.
1: Pizzagate. So there's okay. so in 2016 there was this notion that Hillary Clinton had a child sex ring at the basement of this pizza parlor in DC called Comet Pizza. Mm-hmm. And this became such a widespread talking point on conservative media, and especially on a lot of these like you know far-right blogs, that at a certain point, there was a poll, 50% of Trump supporters in this poll believed that Hillary Clinton does in fact have a child sex ring in the basement of this pizza parlor. And what ended up happening is, some guy actually went there with a semi automatic rifle and demanded to see where the basement was because he thought he was doing this heroic act and finally, like, freeing the people in this Pizza yeah. Gate scenario. And it turns out there isn't even a basement in, in this <laughs> Comet Pizza. It's like, so that just shows how the desire to have this secret knowledge is just really attractive psychologically. So, I don't think that that's ever going away. There's always going to be some percentage of the population that are just drawn to that, like moth to a flame. Mm-hmm. However, I think the current undercurrent of people who really want nuanced opinions, who listen to you know multi-hour podcasts, who you know go on Netflix and watch One Strange Rock, and people that are really mm-hmm. interested in figuring out what's really real. I think mm-hmm. that trend is also going to rise. And mm-hmm. the question is, what happens to the people in the middle, right? The big mm-hmm. chunk of the population in the the big fat section of that bell curve. Yeah. And I think that is largely going to be determined by how the, the social media channels construct their algorithms, how they decide to prioritize information. I mean, you brought mm-hmm. up the point about scholarly scientific articles and the mm-hmm. importance of bringing to top the ones that are really credible and don't have Mm -hmm. you know special interest money behind them as opposed Mm -hmm. to the ones that are basically just being paid to have a certain result so if Mm -hmm. google can within google scholar prioritize the right Mm -hmm. articles and in google news prioritize the right news based on accuracy and importance Mm -hmm. then that'll result in a much better society that's able to collaborate on the problems that really matter which you talked mm-hmm. about in the beginning. And so I'm actually optimistic in the most likely scenario because I, all of the indicators are showing that these companies are trying to do right by society. Mm-hmm. And if so long as that trend continues, I'm very hopeful that the future of news is looking bright.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you too. I feel fairly optimistic about the future of news, especially with the rise of podcasts and mm-hmm. these these people that have more centrist philosophies that just try to be reasonable. Like, yeah. I know not everybody likes Joe Rogan, but I think Joe Rogan is so important to society right now. What, yeah. I think he gets, like, a couple hundred million listens Dude, per he, month.
1: he gets 200 million listens per month. The yeah. biggest, the single biggest news network, CNN and then Fox, they're, they're kind of neck and neck, they get uh-huh. 2 million. He, he Joe Rogan gets 10x... What CNN or Fox get? I mean, it's incredible.
0: And I just think it's so important too because he—he's not one that really. One hundred X. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculous that he, it. You know, he he has this sort of power, but he doesn't he doesn't try to push anything. I mean, yeah, he has opinions about stuff, which is fine, but he also. Brings on guests that have different opinions from him. It's not like this huge echo chamber that he's creating. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to be reasonable about things, and I think that's kind of opening people's eyes. That oh, there's another way to look at things. I should right. probably be more reasonable. I should probably do these things that that make me just a better human, right? And I think just and he this focuses rise on of the
1: topic things. rather than the ideology.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the thing we saw with when. Um, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, went on for the first time. He just asked him about his life. Like, who is Jack Dorsey? He got a lot of pushback because he didn't, you know, grind Jack Dorsey enough mm-hmm. to, like, you know, get all this information out. But it's, you know, I just think it's really good that we have people like him. We have people like Sam Harris who doesn't even take ads at all mm-hmm. because he doesn't want to have the influence of some sort of um, agency or some some money that potentially could stop if he says something wrong. Mm-hmm. So I just I think that we're just going to continue to see this sort of thing rising. And I still think podcasts are a pretty small part of the whole news media, the whole news space, which is awesome because there's a lot of room to grow still. Because I would say out of everybody I know, there's still a fairly small percentage of those people that regularly listen to podcasts Mm -hmm. and um i just you know i just think with the rise of podcasts and with the rise of the this divisiveness and this polarity people are starting to see like oh maybe maybe being this extreme is not good maybe Mm -hmm. i think eventually there's just gonna like everything's just expanding so much eventually it's just gonna come crashing to the center or at least i hope that a lot of the people start to drift more towards the center because they realize how outrageous it is to be so biased um so i i think that's kind of where it will go eventually i just wonder how far we have to stretch before contracting again towards the center um we'll see right Uh, (laughs) i i I mean i kind of
1: feel like the worst is actually already behind us but I think a lot is going to determine what happens in 2020 because 2020 could be an indicator that oh no no the worst is still yet to come, <laughs> or yeah. we could you know it could be in the past. So
0: yeah, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful. I, I think that 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 will be an issue. I mean, I think it'll be cyclical too. I think there will be a time in the future where we become more and more uh, biased or more there's more polarity in the whole news space and information space and again it's probably just gonna contract and expand over time. So so we'll see. I mean I'm I'm very curious yeah. to see what happens over our lifetimes with, with news.
1: Yeah. So am I.
0: We are all gathered here today. Well I think
1: that's a good place to end it. so thank you everyone for listening. If you have any questions you can reach We're out to talk us talk about the what happens What is currently happening and what will inevitably it. happen
0: The past, the present, and the future